Wonderful. Well, if you've got a Bible, then can you turn to Matthew chapter 6? Matthew chapter 6. We're continuing our journey through the greatest sermon ever preached. It was preached by Jesus on a mountainside in Galilee. It was a sermon that turned the world upside down. And it is still a sermon that has the power to transform people today. And we're just working our way through bit by bit because there's so much treasure in what Jesus says that we want to get as much of it out each week as we can. So we take one little section, we look at it, and we move on to the next bit. And this week, we've come to a subject that I reckon, for many of us, is not familiar ground. Right, you know when you're doing an exam, and you get a question, and you look at it and you go, oh, this is all right, I know, this is my subject, this is, this is okay, I'm good at this. But then you hear a question, it's like, oh no, this is not, I'm all out of my depth, I don't know what I'm doing, I've got all sorts of questions. And you maybe have a little go at it, but you're not quite sure, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I think for many of us, that's how we feel when we come to the subject of fasting. Last week we were talking about praying. Now, you may not feel very good at praying, but at least we're sort of, that. We, we, okay, that's fine, we try and do that, we sort of know that. But fasting, well, that's a bit weird, isn't it? Fasting feels like I'm a bit out of my depth. I don't know. Maybe I've had a go, I tried, but I don't know what I'm doing. This afternoon, we're going to try and sit at the feet of Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, teach us. Help us to understand what might it mean for us, as your people, to embrace this slightly weird reality of fasting. Now, look, it may be that you're here this afternoon and you're not a Christian, right? You're here and it's great that you're here, but there's no, you're here because you're a guest or you're not sure what you believe. That's fine. It's great that you're here. And this may be an odd subject for you to come, but I think there'll be stuff that will be interesting to you as we go through this afternoon. I don't think you'll find this completely irrelevant. I think there'll be things that perhaps connect with you and your life that might make you begin to think and question. So that's where we're heading. So why don't we pray, then we'll read, and then we're going to dig into it together. Let's pray. Father, please, we ask that these ancient words of Jesus, words that were spoken 2,000 years ago, words that have been read millions and millions of times over the last two millennia, countless Christians who have read these words, treasured these words, would they now become treasured to us? Would they be precious to us? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's what Jesus says. It doesn't take long. It's not a long passage. This is it. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I said that fasting didn't feel like home ground. I said that fasting, for most of us, I I think, will be something we haven't given a lot of thought to and we haven't given a lot of time and practice to. That does put us in a slightly unusual position, historically. We're not the norm. Fasting has, 
for the vast majority of church history, been a majorly important part of what it means to be a Christian. So although we might sit here and say, well, this doesn't seem very important to us, we may be disagreeing with a very great number of people who've gone before us. And it might be that we need to rethink and reconnect. I also want to say that when I say that fasting may not be our home ground, I realize I'm talking to one particular culture because there are many cultures in our world where fasting is very common. Many cultures throughout our world where fasting is practiced for all sorts of reasons, in all sorts of religions, in all sorts of settings, fasting is an appropriate response. It is a human response. This is not just a Christian thing. Many of you know that Muslims fast for 40 days for for Ramadan. And it's not just them, it's many. In fact, it seems to me that most religions in the world include fasting in what they do. So could it be that we're the ones who are out of line? Could it be that our neglect of this practice makes us unusual rather than makes us normative? And when you learn from someone, it is important that you learn from someone who knows what they're talking about, or not just knows what they're talking about, but practices what they preach. So, okay, Jesus, before you're going to tell us about fasting, what are are your credentials? What do you know about fasting? What? Fascinating, if you should turn back two pages in Matthew's Gospel, the first thing that we find Jesus doing is that he is baptized, he's then led by the Spirit into the wilderness. I mean, just, I mean, just listen to this. After he, he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. <laughs> what an understatement. So Jesus launched his campaign. He launched his great mission by fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Oh, okay, so Jesus does know something about what he's talking about. Oh, let's just do some more connecting, right? Let's, let's, you've got to learn to read the Bible like this. Are there others in the Bible who fasted for 40 days and 40 nights? Yes, there are two others. One of them was a man called Moses. Moses went up a mountain, Mount Sinai. He received the Ten Commandments and all of God's law. And he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of God. Elijah met God on a mountain and he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. So you have the law represented by Moses, Elijah representing the prophets. And now here comes the one who fulfills the law and the prophets who fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. Can you not see Matthew is making a very big point about this man, Jesus. He doesn't just have good knowledge about fasting. He doesn't just have interesting ideas. He is the very embodiment of this great plan that Elijah and Moses set in motion. This is big. This isn't some niche little kind of side event, you know, fringe event at the party conference where you can go and listen to a kind of slightly eccentric speaker speak about something that no one really cares about. This is mainline, main theme Bible theology. Okay? So it probably matters. 
So we're going to listen as Jesus teaches us what it means to fast. And just as we've seen the last two weeks with giving and with prayer, it follows the same pattern. There is a danger, right? There is a danger that you just do it for performance. The people of Jesus' day, they were fasting. They were good fasters. They fasted two days a week. They were serious about this. The problem was not that they were not fasting. The problem was that they were doing it for show. And Jesus says, don't do that. But his answer to don't do that is not don't do it at all, but do it right. And I want to try and show you four reasons why I think that we might have sidelined fasting that I hope will help us to unpack this theme. Four reasons why I think we might have sidelined fasting. Here's the first one. It's possible that we have a distorted anthropology. Look, that sounds more impressive than it actually is, right? Anthropology, anthro-human, polyology, study of. Right, it's basically, we have a distorted view of what we are as human beings. See, this is, this is the, 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 the point I want to make is this. In the Bible, it is very clear that human beings are made up of body and spirit. That's made clear in the very way that God created the first human beings. When he took dust of the ground, he took dirt of the ground, and he molded it into a human being. It was physical. It was made of the earth. But he didn't then go, and there it is. There's a human. That wasn't a human. It was body, but then God breathed, and he breathed his spirit into the man, and the man became a living being. And so what we have is that humanity is both body and spirit together. Now what we tend to do is to separate those two bits out and act as if those two bits act kind of apart from each other. And that is where we go wrong with fasting. So when we think about God... We tend to imagine if there is a God out there somewhere, the bit that, is that rain? Wow. I'm glad I'm inside. If there is a God out there, the bit of me that he really cares about is my spirit, my soul, right? That's the real me. Sometimes people talk about that, don't they? It's the real me, the me bit inside. And therefore, I can think about prayer because I'm sort of praying and I, I pray and I, I, I pray with my spirit and I pray to God and it all becomes very spiritual and disconnected from the physical. Now, Again, this is what our culture has pushed us to. We, we, we think this way and you can see it. If you, I, I want to keep saying this. We are abnormal in thinking like this in, in church history. So last week we talked about prayer. I'm like, okay, fine, prayer, 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 prayer. But if you notice the way that we pray as a church in the West, typically speaking, we tend to not really care about the physical at all. It tends to just, doesn't really matter how you sit. 
You know, okay, let's have a prayer. Okay, let's, let's pray. Oh, okay, let's pray. It doesn't matter how I sit. I can pray um, out for a run. I can pray doing the washing up. I can pray lying on the sofa. It, do, it doesn't really matter because my body doesn't really matter. That's really unusual. Because actually what you do with your body massively affects how you feel and your emotional response. If you don't believe me, just watch a sports thing or watch an um, a arty thing, right, where you sit and watch people doing things on the stage. If you are moved by it, what do people do? They've watched this unbelievable, just beautiful music and singing and dance. It's been amazing. What do people do? They just stand. They stand together and they roar and they clap. They don't just sit and go, oh, it's nice, it's pretty good. You can't. Because if, you're, if your soul is moved, then your body is moved too. And if you disconnect those things, then you remove the power. You won't enjoy the emotion because there's no connection. And someone I read this week described prayer, uh, fasting, as praying with your body. In other words, it is doing something with your physical body that goes alongside your praying. Now, there are other things about praying, right? We, it can be helpful to kneel in prayer. It can be helpful to raise our arms in prayer. It can be helpful to pray in different physical ways. And let me just be clear. We can talk to God as we go for a run and as we wash up. But if that's the only time you talk to God, you will discover your relationship with God becomes skewed. The only time I talk to my wife is when I'm on a run and I give her a call and I say, I'm just out for a run. And I thought I'd use this time effectively and efficiently to talk to you. That is going to skew my relationship. And in the same way with God, if that's the way that we relate to God, it will skew our relationship. And so, yes, we can kneel and we can raise our hands and we can stand and we can fast. You see, fasting is about connecting the physical and the spiritual. It is about bringing together what we constantly seem to want to drive apart. Now, you don't have to look further than Christmas to see how much this matters. If you don't really think that God is bothered about your body, then why on earth would he send his son to take a human body? What is it we just sang at the start? Look, today's a very special day in the church calendar, in the globe church calendar. It's called, <laughs> who would, it's called Who Would Have Dreamed Sunday? Because this is the Sunday we get to sing my favorite song, <laughs> which is the song we sang at the start. Who would have dreamed or ever foreseen that we could hold God in our hands? <laughs> I love it because it means Christmas is coming. But this is the miracle that God, the eternal creator God, the God who is spirit, did not just stay spirit and say that's enough. Instead, the God who is spirit took human flesh. He took a body. He dignified our human experience 
so that we might learn to worship God in body and spirit. And so Jesus knew what it was to feast with friends and to fast. Jesus knew what it was to laugh and to weep. He had a body like you do. He dignifies your body. Now I know and I'm aware that we have a complex relationship with our bodies. I'm also aware that for some of us that that is a really, really hard area. And I want to be so careful in the way I talk this afternoon. I want you to know I've been praying for you. But we cannot neglect what God says about our bodies. Our bodies are broken. They fail us and they let us down. They get older. We feel rubbish. And yet, our bodies are part of the instrument God has given us to worship God. And so as we think this afternoon about fasting, I want us to be really careful that we connect the body and the spirit together in a way which means we worship God with body and spirit. That's the first thing. Let's, let's move on to the second thing. We'll, we'll keep fleshing this out. Hopefully it'll get a little bit more practical at some point. Here's, here's the second thing. Let's have the second thing up. The second reason I think that we tend to not fast in the, the stream of church that we're in is I think we have a confused view of grace. What do I mean? Okay, here's, here's what... Right, grace, right? Grace, we love grace. Grace is great. Amazing grace. You could even write him about it. Amazing grace. We celebrate grace. This is what grace means. Grace means that God so loved you when you were distant from him. He loved you when you had rejected him. He loved you when you had nothing to offer, you had nothing to give, you had no money to pay, you had no good deeds to offer him. God, grace, looked at you and moved towards you and loved you. God's grace means it comes as a gift to you. He gave you his son. He gave you life. And you don't pay anything. It is amazing. And let me just say, if you're not a Christian, that's it. That's why I'm a Christian. Because God did not ask anything of me. He gave everything for me. Even his son. So that all of my failure and shame might be taken by Jesus. So that I might be welcomed and loved and embraced as a dearly loved child of God. Great, grace, amazing. Ah, but then we get it wrong. Then we make this mistake. We say, grace, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter how I live my life because God just loves me. And whether I obey him or I disobey him, it doesn't matter. Because grace, grace does it all. That's not what the New Testament teaches. That's not what it says. Grace comes as a free gift. Grace transforms us and grace changes us. 
Before Jesus fasted for 40 days in the desert, which we just read about, what happened to him just before he fasted 40 days? He went into a river. He was baptized. He went under the water. He came up. The Spirit of God came down, and this voice came from heaven. This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. The Father spoke the approval of his Son, and Jesus then said, great, Dad loves me. I'm just going to go and party. I can do what I want. He loves me. He'll always love me. Of course he didn't say that. The approval of the Father, the love of the Father, is what drove Jesus in love to fast for 40 days. But look, it comes that way round. It wasn't 40 days of fasting. Then he went, Father, have I done enough? Do you love me now? No. I love you. Fast. See, is it possible that our love of grace and our joy in grace actually is the reason that we don't fast? Because this is what I often often hear this. Well, fasting is just a bit legalistic. We're free from rules. Why would I fast? It all sounds a bit like the law. Surely Jesus is done with all that. Can't we just have a bit of happy time living in grace? I live in grace. Now, don't get me wrong. It is possible to fast legalistically. Legalistic means I fast in order that I might win the Father's approval. Father, I fasted for 24 hours. Will you love me now? Father, I fasted for 24 hours. Will you now heal my mum? Father, I fasted for 24 hours. Will you now fulfill my desire? The deep ache I have for a relationship. Father, will you give that to me now? Surely I've proved myself to you, Father. That, you see, that is not the way that we're to fast. Do you, see, do you see the difference? Fasting is not a mechanism by which I win something from God. Fasting is a response by which I worship him. That I might find myself saying, I am so loved by my father that in worship, I will go without food for 24 hours. Or I will miss breakfast. We're going to get practical in a second, okay? Don't don't panic about those things. I'm just trying to to lay these foundations. But because we're so obsessed with legalism, we're not legalists. We're not legalists. We're about grace, 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 which means we basically say, therefore, it doesn't really matter if you obey or not. It absolutely does. Jesus says over and over again, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll obey me. But you'll obey me joyfully, not dutifully. Okay, here, let's, let's keep going. Here's the third thing. Look, this is, this is big. Okay, uh, we've got one sermon on fasting, and it's tough. Okay, here's, here's the third thing. Why have we 
kind of pushed fasting as, as an idea out of, out of um, kind of church life. I think it's because we live in a, ca- a culture that's absolutely driven by appetite. Appetite-driven culture. Where basically, we are told that we have desires and our desires, it is right for us to fulfill our appetite. If you've got an appetite, feed it. That's just how it works. All human beings have appetites. You have appetites for all sorts of things. And if you have an appetite for it, just feed it. I think our culture would say that's a good thing for you to feed whatever appetite you have. In fact, I think our culture would say it's not just a good thing. I think our culture would say it's a right thing. You have the right to be satisfied. You have the right to have that appetite satisfied. In fact, I think our culture would go further than that. I think our culture would say to not satisfy that appetite is dangerous and harmful. Don't deny yourself the things that you want because we're created to be happy. We have the right to have our appetite satisfied however we want. So what do we say to all of that? I think what we say is our appetites are good. God created us with bodies that have appetites. And things we long for are things that got good things. Food, right? Food is a good thing. Just want to make that absolutely clear. It's really good. It is a good thing. Or the appetite for sex. Sex is a good thing. It's good. The appetite for work or for relationship, they are good appetites. They're all good. We are desiring something that God says is good. But when that appetite becomes an over-appetite, when that appetite becomes what drives us, then there is a danger. And so one of the things you discover in the Bible is that fasting is one of the means by which you say, I will not be driven by my appetite. I will be driven by God and my love for him. And so it may be appropriate for there to be times in your life where you choose to forego something that is good to show God that you worship him and love him more. Let me just talk practically for a second and then we've got one final thing which is, a, which is probably the, the biggest one I want us just to land on. But let's just talk practically for a second. I don't know if you've ever tried fasting. If you've ever tried it, you will discover that it's really hard. Like really hard. Now again, please hear me say, I know that all of us in this room have complex relationships with food. I understand that. Understand that we need to think of appropriate ways to express fasting. I think the Bible does give examples of not just fasting from food, but other means of denying ourselves something that is good in itself, 
but perhaps has become too important to us. So if, if food is a really big issue for you, then please translate this in your head to something else that you think I could... How could I translate it to this particular thing? Whether that's social media or a particular place that you go or whatever it is. Here's my experience. Um, and I do not claim to be a, a, a master at fasting. We're learning from the master, Jesus. My experience is that it is just miserable. I don't like being hungry. <laughs> it's really hard. At least that was my experience when I started. And in many sense, I think, here's the problem, right? What we do is we go, fine, I'm going to give this fasting thing a go. I don't know why you suddenly go all like cockney about it, but you know, I'm going to give fasting a go. And you try it for a day, you have the worst day ever, you get really angry with everybody because that's what happens when you get hungry. And you get to the end of the day, day you're expecting this awesome spiritual experience. I'm going to have this mountaintop experience with God. And actually, at the end of the day, you just feel miserable. I think that is most people's experience when they start fasting. <laughs> but that isn't surprising. Because if you had a child, and you had never, ever, ever said no to this child, ever since it was born, everything it wanted, you said, yes, 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 yes. Then on its 12th birthday, you decided to say no for the first time in its life. That's not going to go well, is it? Do you not see that that's going to feel like a complete gear shift? Like, what? You're saying no? That's your body when you start fasting. What? For 47, look, for 47 years, we had this agreement that you would feed me every day. And today you say no? You've never done this before. And you will find that you react. It's hard. And you may say, well, what's the point of it? What's the point of it? Well, I think the point of it is that God is saying it's good sometimes to say no to good things. It's an appropriate thing sometimes to say no to something which is a good desire. To say no to that in order to say yes to God. It's a good thing sometimes. And my experience is that you have to keep practicing. You have to keep trying. You learn to do it. It's just like learning anything, learning a musical instrument. You don't start as an expert. You, you learn and it's like hard and it's painful and it sounds awful. But bit by bit, you learn. You discover more of this thing that God has given. But that brings us to the fourth thing, and this is where we're going to wrap this up. And I, I really want you to see this now because this really, this really matters. I mean, ever, right. Fourth thing. The fourth reason, I think, that we have a warped and, and we've shifted fasting off the main, its main, the place that I think it should have, is I think we have a disconnected kingdom view. And this brings us right back to the Sermon on the Mount, main theme. 
You see, what is the Sermon on the Mount all about? It is the kingdom of God, right? The kingdom of heaven coming into this world, this kingdom of light pushing into this kingdom of darkness. Jesus comes to bring this great kingdom into this world, the kingdom of life into the kingdom of death. Jesus comes, and how does he start his mission as he establishes that? He starts by fasting for 40 days. You see, there is a connection. You've got to see this. There is a connection between the kingdom of heaven and fasting. Jesus puts those two things together in his Sermon on the Mount. He is saying the reason he puts fasting in his sermon is because this is his kingdom manifesto. And he's saying, I want you to learn to fast, but to fast for the kingdom of heaven. Right, I'm going to read you some. I read a passage this week. I'm going to read you this. This is Isaiah 58. And if you're listening, it will blow your socks off. I don't even know what that means. But just, just listen to this. This, this will really help you understand what, what we're talking about when we talk about fasting. You can, you can close your eyes if you want uh, to, to try, try and to, to really feel it. God is talking to his people. And God's people say, why have we fasted? Why have we fasted and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Do you hear that question? God, we fasted. We did the fasting thing and you didn't notice. Why not? God says, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife, in striking with each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Okay, wait for this. Listen to this. Is not this... The kind of fasting I have chosen. Right, what are you expecting? What's he going to say next? What is the sort of fasting that God is calling his people to? Here it comes. To loosen the chains of injustice. To untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free. And to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Do you hear what he's saying? You want to know what fasting I want? I want a sort of fasting that drives you in love to the people who need you. I want the sort of fasting that makes you a kingdom of light that moves into the darkness. The sort of fasting that drives you out of your comfort and your luxury and your idolatry out to the places where people need it. To go to the hungry, to go to those who are in chains, to go to those who are suffering injustice. And listen to what God says. He says, if you do that, you learn to first like that, fast like that, 
Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will call for help, and he will say, here am I. When Jesus announces his kingdom, he says, do not fast like the hypocrites. Do not fast like the Pharisees. They do it on the street corner. It's all for show. There's nothing there. But instead, when you fast, fast like this. When you fast, go into a secret place. It's about you and God. Speak to your father. Do it for your father. Do it with your body because he made your body and your soul because he loves your soul. And honor him. And fast like this. How is the kingdom of heaven going to break into the kingdom of this world? How are we going to transform London? Only if we fast like God calls us to fast. So what does this mean? No time left. What does this mean? Here's what it means. Fasting is not some private little ritual where you sit in a room and have a nice little experience on your own. It's not about trying to get closer to God. It's not about trying to have some magical experience. It's certainly not about dieting or about intermittent fasting or about losing weight or for health grounds. Fasting is about aligning your heart with the heart of God, just like the Lord's Prayer last week. It is about getting your heart, which has got all sorts of desires, lined up with God's. God, this thing that's good, I'm going to deny it so that I can focus on you, so that I can pray. So here's an idea. You know, people say, how long should I fast? I don't care how long you fast for. I care what you fast for. You could fast for 40 days and it'd be completely pointless and God doesn't hear you. You could fast for one hour and it could change the world. You see that? So look, what about, right, if you said, I want to fast for this. I want to fast about injustice. And so when you hear of injustice happening in the world, you say, I'm going to set aside some time to fast. That might, look, it might be as simple, if you're not used to it, it might be as simple as missing just one meal. I'm going to miss this meal and instead of eating that meal, I'm going to sit and I'm going to pray and I'm going to weep and I'm going to ask for God's justice to come. Oh, and by the way, if you do that, you may also find that God begins to change your desires may begin to move you to be part of the answer to that prayer as you align your heart with his. Okay, here's here's another idea, right? Perhaps someone gives you a gift or you get a bonus at work or something happens. You get some money in some way. Here's an idea. Why not set aside a day to fast and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Who could I give this to How can I use this to be a blessing? Do you you see what I'm trying to get at? How do we connect our fasting to, to this? To bringing the light of God's kingdom into this world. That we would learn to fast in a connected way where it's about the kingdom of heaven. Seeking first his kingdom. 
So for example, if you're going to fast from coffee for a week, so that you can, use, you can say, I'm going to use that money to do something. I'm going to give that. I'm going to be a blessing to someone. I'm going to share. I'm going to find someone who's hungry. I'm going to find someone who I could provide warmth and shelter. And I, look, be creative. But fasting is about this connectedness to the kingdom. And man, perhaps, perhaps God might teach us to fast like this. There are places in the New Testament where the church fasts together. Sometimes that fasting, that kingdom fasting, is because we're aware of our own failure. It's right, the Bible says, to to fast when we feel sorrow over our sin. There's still a place for that. Or perhaps you feel an ache for justice and you don't know what to do. Do you feel that? You sit in London, I want to do something. I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, what can I do? You could start by fasting. Put it in your diary. Once a month, once a week. Make it a regular thing. Not, a, not massively long, just one thing. Set it aside. And you say, I'm gonna, just going to dedicate that lunchtime every week. I'm going to dedicate that lunchtime to seeking God and saying, God, what do you want to do with my life? Here I am. How do you want to use me? Open opportunities. Send me to where the need is. Send me to where the need is. Just imagine if he answered that prayer. Fasting is one of the beautiful ways that God has given to connect us to his kingdom. But the good news is that you don't have to fast. You really don't. The Bible doesn't, the New Testament doesn't command it anywhere. Jesus doesn't command that we will. But he does assume that we will. That when we fast, we'll fast this way. And you may have loads more questions. I'm sorry I've been too long. But look, I would love us to learn this. I want to learn this. And it starts with the first step, with something small. I know that some of you, you've been praying the Lord's Prayer because of what we talked about last week. Great, let's add this in this week. Or could you give up this week in order to spend a little bit longer praying the Lord's Prayer? Don't expect it always to be an amazing emotional experience. You learn that. You learn to grow in relationship with God. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Let's pray. And then we're going to have some time to reflect on all that we've heard. Father, um, thank you. Thank you that you were bothered about our bodies. Thank you that you made us to be body and spirit. And Lord, we're sorry when we pray with our spirits, but we don't use our bodies to worship you. And we pray even this afternoon that we would worship you with our body and our souls. And that we would honor you in the way that our appetites, which so often want to control us, that we might learn to control them in your power. Father, thank you that you love us already. Thank you that when we fail, you love us already, but we want to try. We want to try to be the people you've called us to be. So Lord Jesus, good teacher, captain of our souls, the one who went ahead of us, the one who died on the cross, the one who rose again. Lord Jesus, would you teach us to fast for the eyes of your Father and for the glory of your kingdom. Amen.